Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Hey everybody, today's guest is Shane Told from the Burlington, Ontario band Silverstein. Shane and I break down the writing, recording, and release of their 2005 hit, My Heroine. Shane tells of a common theme here on Krista Makes a Podcast, that My Heroine was almost left off their record discovering the waterfront because no one besides him believed in the song. We talk about how nerve-wracking it can be to preserve your voice on the road as a vocalist who not only sings, but also screams with the sheer ferocity that Shane does. We politely disagree on the song's structure. It's definitely an odd one, but I feel that it works perfectly. Shane mentions how the song's lyrical meaning is a double entendre that was not intentional when he wrote them and how the song has helped countless Silverstein fans through their bouts with addiction. And Shane was gracious enough to perform the song acoustically for us today, and he did a killer job. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. You know, I, I want to say there was more than one, but I know for sure that we spent a summer together on the 2006 Warp Tour. Yeah, I think 2006, and then I want to say again, either 13 or 15, I think. Um, okay, well, or yeah, one of those years. We did, we did like, we were always on the even year, uh, the odd year, so we did 13, 15, and 17 most recently, and I know you were on some of the dates, but... You must get so mixed up. I get mixed up, and you guys have done like twice as many, <laughs> twice as many as me. Yeah, we've done we've done a few warp tours in our in our time. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know this uh, Shane picked the song "My Heroine," and uh, this tune uh, got a lot to talk about with this one. So I'd, I'd like you to set it up. Was sure. was was this song? Um, you know, your record, your debut came out in 2003 when Broken is Easily Fixed. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, my heroine is from Discovering the Waterfront, which was released in 2005. Um, was this song specifically written for Discovering the Waterfront? Like, was it something written between albums or was it a holdover from the first record? So I had that riff, that intro riff forever. I don't even know when exactly I wrote it, but but I would say well before 
uh, when Broken came out, I would say. Like, around, or around there. And I okay. knew it was a special riff. I knew there was something about it. Um, it's kind of an intricate, weird riff. Like, there's there's a kind of weird string skipping pattern. And whenever I try to show someone to play it, they're always, like, really... They can't wrap their head around it. It's kind of a strange riff. So I knew there was something there. And, you know, wasn't ready for that. I didn't know what to do next. And then, you know, once it was time for LP2, you know, and you know the pressure that comes on LP2, right? You know, we didn't expect any success. And here we right. are, you know, knowing this record's going to make a splash. And and for me, I thought this riff and, you know, the song it was going to turn into could be, it had a lot of potential. Well, that's cool that you knew that early on. And I and I love the riff and I, and I know what you mean because I picked up the guitar to uh, to run <laughs> through the song. And it, it's that haunting, uh, it, it, it's the G string. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that rings out, that gives that that haunting uh, uh, to it. And so you're, you're saying you had this riff for some time. And isn't that crazy? I, I've had uh, riffs in my phone. Uh, used to be just laying around on cassette tapes back in the day. <laughs> sure. Sometimes for years and, and they had never meshed or turned into something. And uh, why do you think that was with this? Why, why it didn't uh, formulate into something sooner? Honestly, I, I just really liked it. Like, I, like mm-hmm. I liked it so much, and this is going to sound weird maybe, that I'm like, this is our big hit, and I like thought it was going to be so good, but that's really the honest story, that I didn't want to phone it in. I didn't want to half-ass it. And every part of this song, which we'll, I guess I'm sure we'll get to, you know, oh, yeah. I... I, I really really meticulously thought about it and spent time you know some songs you write them in five minutes literally literally like five minutes you have the music down or at least and then maybe you make some changes but then it kind of reverts back to that original five minute song you wrote your original instinct this was not that song this was a, a arduous you know, process of, of going back and forth and not knowing what was best and worrying about it and thinking about it at, at night. Like, literally, it was like that. So I knew it wasn't going to happen for that first album. Uh, I wonder, really wonder what it would have been like if it had recorded much worse, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but no, and that's, that's kind of the, the, that was the whole, you know, process of it, I guess, early on. Well, you touched on something a moment ago, and I kind of thought this is where you were going with it. Uh, and I've never brought this up on the show before. It's an interesting point. I've had riffs that I think are killer that I'm afraid to waste them almost. Yeah. Like, I don't think this song is good enough for that riff, and they'll sit around forever. Because <laughs> I can't write a song around it that matches the power and, and the coolness of, of the riff. Exactly. That's And that's exactly what happened with my heroine. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I... I love it. I love uh, love that riff. Uh, it, it, like I said, it's haunting. It's that uh, that open G uh, string that just that just g- gives it that. And there's also something I want to talk about in the intro. Um, I, and, and I, I noticed that uh, in the first verse, there is the lyric that says heartbeats. It almost sounds like a it's like this keyboard noise, like a heartbeat monitor or something in there that, that adds to that hauntingness. Who, whose idea was that? Was yeah. That something that Cam- Cameron Webb, the producer, brought or you guys? It was Cameron, actually. So we really we did the record and you know how it is like oh, we, we, we booked a tour. I think we were going on tour with Fall Out Boy literally right after we were recording and we didn't give ourselves enough time. So the rest of the band had already left the studio. Um, we, we recorded the record in California. So we're from Canada. We recorded the record in California. So that was kind of a new experience. But the the band had already left. They'd record their parts. I was alone finishing my vocals. And we had um, two, we had actually um, 
Sean from Yellow Card come in after I'd left to lay down some strings. And I thought that okay. that was going to be the only thing. It was on a different song. I thought that was going to be the only extra thing. And then Cameron, who I'll get to this too, he hated this song, didn't think it should be on the record. He You're ends kidding up, me. No, no. <laughs> I'll, oh, I'll, oh, dude, yes. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But no, so he he has this uh, Mellotron part that I guess his buddy came in and played on. And it was, it's strange. I don't even know what it's doing. Like if I had to, you know, play it on a, like on a keyboard or a guitar or anything, I don't think I could. It's, it's, it's a strange it, it little sound. It sounds like sound. something from, from NASA, like a rocket thing or something. I don't even know what, <laughs> what it really is, but it just, and it's, and it's not in the forefront. It's, uh, it's almost buried, but man, it, yep. it, it adds to that haunting arpeggiated guitar part. It really, really adds to it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think at the time that that was being mixed, you know, and that was put together and I wasn't there, I was still scared about the song not making the album. I was still scared about that, that I think that's why I agreed to having that little thing in there because I never liked it. And I still, when I hear the song now, I'm still like, that's just a strange decision there. It <laughs> that's doesn't so cra- That's so crazy. Like- I, pick, I picked up on it and liked it, and, and it's kind yep. of uh, salt in the wound for you still. No, well, I don't know about that. I haven't thought about it, <laughs> to be honest, in a long time. But but no, I mean, we had... So that, that album is was 11 tracks, and uh, we were only getting paid for 10 from the label, you know, for publishing. And our first album was 10 tracks. And I've always been a big, short album, 10-track guy. You know, like like the Weezer Blue album. You know, it's a perfect ten track album. Leave you know, one more. Right, exactly. So that was kind of the approach. Okay, we'll just do ten songs. So we'll cut one, and th- literally, like I had this terrible demo of this song. The song didn't change much, but it was recorded. You know, the drums were on like a Boss drum machine. Like this is like before there was any drum programming using MIDI or whatever. And I dumped the drum tracks into like a boss uh, recorder that records on zip disks. I don't even remember those. Like I think it was called a BR8. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I made the demo on. And it sounded like shit. And the guitars Get were like metal lawn, zone. Kids. <laughs> yeah, man, I know. But it was it was it was not a good demo. And because um, most of the other demos, we kind of had our buddy that knew what he was doing to to help us with the demos, but this one didn't. So it stuck out, it stuck out like a sore thumb, and I think that that was probably why you know the rest of the band they didn't like it, and the producer didn't like it, didn't think it should be on the record. And I, oh man, you talk about lead singer syndrome. I pulled like a huge fit about this song potentially not being on the album. Well, you know, as you should. It's your, it's your biggest <laughs> song. There's there's 12 million YouTube videos. Was now now <laughs> yeah. Real quick, let me back up. Cameron Webb, the producer, he's worked with. He's one of my favorite producers. I love Cameron. He's, a man. he's worked with Motorhead, Some 41, Social Distortion, Megadeth. I mean, his got a laundry list, uh, and I love his sounds. I love his tones. Um, was it kind of like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give him his little, you know, uh, Mellotron sound here to, at, you know, at the top to, to give him his way. So maybe the song can get, get on the record. Well, I really liked, well, I really like Cameron as a person. And at the time, I think when we were recording vocals, he pushed me pretty hard and I kind of hated him in that moment, but I think ultimately I knew, um, it was the right thing, but it was a weird situation even working with Cameron because originally we were supposed to make this record with David Bendith 
And okay, David, I'm not, I'm not familiar with David. Oh, David Bendith, he's done. He did like the Paramore Riot record, and uh, okay, okay, he's a sorry, big, I, yeah, he's a big deal. Um, okay, and he's Canadian, so that's somehow that's how he found out about us, and you know, and he was gonna originally he was gonna okay, we're gonna do the record in a studio in New Jersey, and then he can't record it, but he's gonna mix it, and then he can't you know and then oh he can't mix it either it's like okay so we fired him um just because it was too it was too much and we hired Cameron kind of last minute like I want to say we were on a tour in like January in Europe and then we went in the studio in like March so it was like it was like a month or a month and a half from when we confirmed with Cameron till when we were actually like tracking okay so it was quick okay. And how was he on your radar? He had done this record by a, a band called Park from Chicago. Uh, I think they were on like Lobster Records. And we just loved this record. It was like a van a van album, you know? One of those records okay. that just, you know, you, you, that gets to the it's end of the repeat. CD. Yeah, and it just repeats and <laughs> it, no one says anything. That yeah. was the, the Park, um, it, it won't snow where you're going. So we loved the drums on that album and and just we just liked it. And we thought maybe he was the guy and once you know, talk to him. I was like, this guy's awesome. And he is, he's such a good person. Well, and I got to say right now, a recurring theme on Krista makes a podcast. I can't tell you how many episodes this has happened. In, and you said it again, that this track almost didn't make the record. You know, the, these artists, these bands biggest hit and, it, yeah. and for whatever reason, you know, that the rest of the band didn't feel the song was up to snuff. The producer didn't in this case. And, uh, it's just, it, it's crazy to me to think, and I'm sure to you too that, uh, that this song could have been a, some B-side and, and, and forever forgotten. But but here it is. It's your it's your biggest uh, biggest track. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. And I think what it is to answer your question is hit songs or great songs. They're different. And sometimes it's hard to know if that different is good different or that different is terrible different, right? And <laughs> yeah. and ultimately with this song. I think the band really was like, this is just, this song is different. The song is weird. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound the same as the rest of the record. And, and my retort was to that was, yeah, because it's good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know? and I'll tell you that I, I didn't even think that they were, they were referencing that it was different from the rest of the record. This is an odd arrangement and we're going to get into that right now. This okay. is, this is, this yeah. is different. And, uh, and again, like I said, I always will pick up a guitar and, and, and go through the songs with a fine tooth comb because uh, that's why I started this podcast. I, I love every aspect of songwriting. It's just so, so cool to me. And uh, so the uh, the arpeggiated, the, the intro guitar part goes through for two measures. And mm -hmm. um, I'd also like to tell the listeners right now, this song is uh, three minutes and 29 seconds. So it's almost three and a half uh, minute song. It's uh, right in the and, sweet spot. Uh, Right in the steps, because right in the sweet spot, and um, we, we get into the first verse, and I want to break down these lyrics: the drugs and which there's kind of a double entendre here. The song's called yes. "My Heroine," spelled yes. with an e on the end, which references yes. a love interest in a, in a lady. Um, but then the first line is "drugs," which we all know what what heroin is. So, the drugs begin to speak. A smile of joy arrives in me, but sedation changes to panic and nausea. And breath starts to shorten and heartbeats pound softer. So set set that up. Do you remember uh, yeah. where you were, what, what your train of thought was when you were writing that? Absolutely. So the, the story behind the lyrics, I, I had this buddy and he was, he lived in this, his, his dad is a doctor, a surgeon, and he had a lot of money and he lived in this house and he always had like kind of revolving roommates, but he had this like kind of big house to himself, you know, a nice guy. 
but he was going through a breakup and I went over there to kind of like visit him, make sure he's okay. And I walked into his house and his roommates had, weren't living there anymore. He was in this dark house, like shit everywhere. And it literally felt like a drug den. And he walked out, you know, he'd gone through this, this horrible breakup and he walked out and he looked like just like he'd been on, like he was a heroin addict, to be honest. And right there, you know, he talking to him and, and how he would talk about how he needs this woman, like he needs a drug. That's, that's just where I got the idea from, you know, and, okay. um, and that was kind of setting up the lyrics, um, about it was, was, you know, figuring, figuring out how to kind of make it about a relationship that you're kind of addicted to that's that's horrible for you and you know it is but you kind of can't go away and using the you know the visualizations um and the imagery of you know what a drug addict would go through okay okay cool um halfway through the verse at that line but sedation changes in into panic and nausea um the drums and the bass come in there prior to yep. that it's just that mm-hmm. just that guitar and uh the drums are just kind of doing a kick drum and a, and a hi-hat thing and then out of nowhere. And initially when I was listening to this, I'm like, oh, here's the chorus. But <laughs> it's what I would call the pre-chorus. Okay. And this is where uh, later in the songs, things start to get weird arrangement wise right. in terms of it doesn't follow the verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, you know, this is a, a little different arrangement wise, which is really cool. But out of nowhere, all hell breaks loose. It's like the whole band's in the huge guitars. And at first I thought maybe this song was, uh, was drop D or E flat. Cause it's just, it, that part is heavy as hell. And I was surprised right. it's standard, standard. standard tuning yeah. in, in, in E, yeah. you know, cause it just sounds so meaty and so big. And, and, uh, I know Cameron brings something to that production, his, his, his sure. mixes and productions is so fat, but out of nowhere and your, and your voice changes here. You, <laughs> I mean, you're ripping my head off and it, and the core the pre-chorus is the lyric. You won't try to save me. You just want to hurt me, but leave me desperate. I think that's just kind of the transition between, you know, the drug, imagery and then sort of switching it off to where you're you know I'm screaming and it's like the the character or my friend if you want to if you want you know he's screaming about this relationship you know the frustration of it which kind of sets it up into the chorus where you're talking you know then it's all relationship you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. it goes into that side of it so this is kind of a um, an in-between line but it's interesting that you think of you know the first lyric as the verse because the way I like we you know when we were putting the song together or whatever or the way I thought about it was you know the structure is is intro and then when it gets heavy that's the verse so v1 <laughs> then chorus then back to v2 then chorus then reintro right into kind of an extended oh no there's a bridge too in there after the chorus there's a bridge and then <laughs> and then the reintro um, into into a final chorus so so to what? me I always thought of those parts as separate of course, yeah. Well, and yeah. and and the beauty is we can agree to disagree. Um, that's an inter- <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting take. You know what? I never even thought of that. It is kind of an intro, but that that to me is the first verse, and then the heavy part is the pre-chorus, which then leads us into chorus number one. And mm-hmm. the chorus happens three times in the song, and your voice goes back here. And what I also found interesting about uh, about Silverstein about your band is there a lot of times. 
Um, if you're going to do, uh, you know, the sing songy thing and have a singer and then you'll have the other singer screaming, but you're doing, you're doing all the vocals here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, which I want to talk about that a little bit later of how you don't lose your voice because it just <laughs> amazes someone like me. If I scream like that, I'd, I'd be out of commission after half a song, but, um, <laughs> you get, uh, to the chorus and your voice goes back similar to what it was in the verse, very smooth. Um, and the lyric here is you taught my heart a sense I never knew I had. I can forget the times that I was lost and depressed from the awful truth. How do you do it? You're my heroine. <laughs> That's right. That's them. I've never heard them spoken so uh, poetic, eloquently. Poetically, yes, it's nice. <laughs> poetic. It's nice to hear. Um, um, so, I don't know if, if I feel good or stupid about, it, you know, but I, either way, no. I think that yeah, I was trying to like this heroin thing, you know, this whole double meaning, double entendre um, line. I thought there was something there, and you know, with the I, I the way I wrote the lyrics, I wrote the verse or yeah, we're calling it the verse. I wrote that first and, um, you know, I had all these, you know, these kind of intense words like, you know, nausea and, and like these kind of intense words. And I knew that the chorus needed something that was going to be a little more like, you know, just explaining it. And, you know, I wanted to use the, you're my heroine, but I had to figure out how to kind of make it work. So that's what I, that's where I lined the, you know, how do you do it? Like, wow, I'm impressed with your, you know, your prowess and your, you know, ability to make me feel this way, you know, to to deceive me and still, you know, make me need you and love you on all this, you know, like, wow, like you're my heroine, you know, you're my hero kind of for, for that. And that's that's the gist of it, which okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's obvious. I always thought that that was, if we're being completely honest, kind of the weakest part of the like the lyrical explanation because to me it made sense and and then when I read it back I was like I don't know if this is that clear <laughs> you know well it's you know and don't take this the wrong way it's funny you say that the 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 chorus of this song typically the chorus is the thing you take away but um the chorus is and I don't want to say it's my least favorite part but the other parts of this song are so good that I feel like they eclipse the chorus mm-hmm. you know it kind of kind of kind of comes down so I could I could see kind of what, what you're talking about there um meant to ask a moment ago does the did the song go through any changes from that initial rough demo that you were speaking of did that did the lyrics change did Cameron have anything to say about the lyrics or was this pretty much what was on the demo it was pretty much the same um I have the demo still somewhere actually it's no oh, it's garbage but no it was pretty much the same I don't know if I had all the lyrics quite done yet but mm-hmm. uh I had you know it was it was the structure was the same nothing really changed and um you know I think the the biggest thing we didn't talk about the bridge yet and Cameron especially hated the bridge and you know there's kind of a funny chord chord in there which oh, yeah. I I it's call the B, it's the B minor yeah I, I B major um, I, I call it the um, the lag wagon chord, um, you know, and it's it's the super like fat records, you know, lag wagon or no effects does it all the time. You know, that major chord where it's not supposed to be. And 
Cameron really hated it, and he really said it was just out of place, and you know, and it is, and that's why I like it. Exactly, that was exactly <laughs> my my explanation to him. But I but think there, I, I think I I know why I thought it was a minor. Not to interrupt you, Shane. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that uh, there's an octave guitar going there, so it sounded minor to me. There's an yeah. octave underneath it running. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no problem. Uh, yeah, and, and I think the um there was talk of changing out that part completely to kind of do like a heavier part similar to the verse or what are we, what are we calling it? The pre-chorus, um, you know, and, and bringing back like a breakdown element or like something stops and there's like a chugga, 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 like heavy part, which I think I wrote one. I can't remember it, but I'm pretty sure I wrote an idea, which I was okay on. I just thought that the song maybe, it would. I felt like it would just sound like a generic song. Not that I thought we were gonna get played on the radio or anything. And this song wasn't even supposed to, wasn't supposed to be a single. Was a like Hail Mary's third single later on, which we can talk about after too. Um, sure. You know, you know. But I, I just didn't think it was the right vibe, and I kind of fought for that bridge. And um, well, and and now, and, and we're gonna get to that bridge, mm-hmm. which I love. Uh, but. The song makes a little more sense on paper to me the way that you're structuring it. Right. Because <laughs> if you come out of chorus number chorus number one, then we go into what you're calling the verse, which is just that just that part. I, I'll say it again, this tearing your head off, you know? Yep. And uh, what I'm calling the pre-chorus too, which I found was odd because you go to the chorus, there's no second verse, which you're calling the intro, but it goes to what I'm calling the pre-chorus that that you're calling the verse. But uh, the way the way you set it up makes a little more sense. But uh, I still think this is really neat because you have that screamy, intense part, then it goes into the sing-songy chorus, and then boom, you're right back to you. And now the lyric changes, but the intensity's still there. That guitar riff is is killer. That's there again. The drums are bashing away, and the lyric is, "You won't leave me alone." chisel my heart out of stone i give in every time yep <laughs> that's about it that's a short verse isn't it i can it's see why vi- i could see why you think that isn't a verse when it's that that's short. that's um, why i thought it was right. a, a, pre, a pre-chorus and that kind of sets up the first chorus when that happens after the intro so that's why um yep. i'm still holding steadfast shane this is a pre-chorus damn it <laughs> okay i'll let you have that no i think the li- lyrics for this part it's just um you know just more imagery uh you know just something i don't want to say it's cliche it's 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 a very silverstein lyric it's a very shane told lyric there and it could actually really fit in with any of the lyrics on the first album too so i don't want to say it was like a throwback to that like our, our song like bleeds no more but it was obviously similar and just i just felt the mold i just felt, felt like it fit the mold of kind of the what i was trying to say and Not your delivery, your delivery with that part when you're you're just screaming your heart yeah. out. Yeah, your delivery there was that always intentional, or was this part sung? And at some point, someone in the band or you or Cameron said, "No, you, you need to be intense here. We need to lift here." No, uh, it was supposed to be screamed, and you know that was a thing. Like you mentioned, how I do both the singing and the screaming. Which there were other bands that did it. We weren't the first, but a lot of the bands that did it. They were, you know, more like hardcore bands, more, mm-hmm. um, more bands that were, uh, how do I say this without being sounding like a dick, but like they, they just didn't sing very well. You know, they, they, they screaming was, was good. 
um, the singing was like okay at best. So right. once, and I'm not going to say I'm I'm a better singer than those guys. It probably just was the you know the uh, advent of auto tune that was coming into play at that time, which was making things way easier with less budget to you know make right. good clean vocals. So you know for for us to come out and doing this, and I'm doing both. People were really excited about that part that I was doing both, and that was an element we wanted to have in a lot of songs. And I don't want to say we had to have it in every song, but we wanted to have that aggression and that screaming in, you know, most of the songs because that was a part of, of why people really liked our band. Well, and you, and you guys honestly are, are like the perfect meld of, of doing that because they're, man, I can't tell you how many times and, and usually it'd be at festivals. I, I've, you know, you, you've been <laughs> sure. on the festival circuit. I've seen every band out there doing this as long as I have. Um, and I would see these killer bands and I'm like, why don't they just let the guy that screams scream all the time? Why do they have the other guy? He can't sing. And then vice right. versa. There'd be times when like that guy's voice is angelic. It's killer. Why do they have this guy screaming? Cause it's not that good. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. And that's, that's the thing like doing, doing both, I think was a really important thing just for the success of our band, especially early on. And yeah, and I think this song, we just wanted to have the elements, but you know, I did an acoustic version of this song. I don't know if you typically talk I, about I, that I, stuff. I saw it with, yes. Yeah. And, and we, um, I recorded it with Cameron again, actually, which is kind of cool. We, we, after the success of this, we were playing a show at, I think it was the Anaheim House of Blues. And I, I went to his studio. It's just so weird that I did this. I did it on a show day. And you talk about like, you know, screaming and losing your voice. Like I, it's not easy <laughs> for me on tour to get through, you know, five, six shows in a, in a row or whatever. We were fuck back then even more. And we, I actually went in in the afternoon after soundcheck and recorded that version of my heroine that has it's got like 15 million plays on spotify or something i'm like man i wish i spent more time on it i did it in like an hour and i had written in my kind of in my head the melody for that be the screaming replaced because that's another thing when you when you do a screaming part you're not really thinking about the melody so right. it just kind of came out and I really like the melody that I came up with the, for the acoustic version, um, which and I'm going to sing later and you can hear. So, um, yes, yes, yeah. you are. Well, and I, and I was going to, I was going to mention that it is different on the acoustic version and I was going to ask you how you, how that came about and you, and you already answered the question, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. No, literally just, it was just in my head and I don't know. Yeah. It just kind of came out and it just seemed very natural. Um, you know, maybe it had been kind of marinating in there every time I'd screened it, I'd Maybe that melody was sort of like just hidden in there in a weird way. I'm well, not yeah, sure. I don't but. think I don't think the delivery you have on the record here in the notes. I don't think that would have worked in an acoustic version. It had to be be something. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, no, a no different. Sc- screaming over acoustic guitars is never a good feeling. <laughs> and, and something I touched on a little bit ago, you know, and I noticed this. Uh, we we spent a summer touring with uh, with Lincoln Park and and uh, you know Chester, rest his soul. That guy, mm-hmm. he would just do these melodic singing and then he would just belt and scream yeah. and then he'd yeah. go back and forth. And I always admired guys that can do that, uh, yourself included, because, uh, you know, I, uh, I got a really strong voice, but I, if I, if I went up and did that type of shredding intensity with my voice, uh, I just, I know I couldn't do it and it's just admirable. Have you ever had issues on the road where there's some nights where, Man, my singing voice is working, but my screaming voice isn't, and and, and vice, vice versa. versa. My, my yeah. screaming voice is working, yeah. but my I can't sing for shit tonight. <laughs> yep. No. Uh, all the time. I think <laughs> all the time. No. I mean, I mean, I'm being honest. All, like, it's, yeah, it's a constant worry 
in the back of my head. I mean, all the time, like, oh, well, you know, and it used to be so bad in the early days, like when you had smoking in clubs. Oh, man, the smoking would just like if you like back in the day, especially in Europe, like Germany, like, you know, we, we were playing going over no there barricade. They'd be right there, right in right, front of you, right there, literally just, front row smoking. Uh, it's like kills me. So so luckily that's better now. But yeah, you know, like the loud bar after the show, having a couple drinks like I, I couldn't go, I, you know, I still kind of can't. Um, you know, I've got to rest up. I've got to make sure I'm good. And, and there's just a constant anxiety about am I going to be able to get through tomorrow's show? And if there's one after that, if there's one after that. And then when it's Roadie Friday, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. I got through, <laughs> got through it. But no, there really is an element of like, oh, got through another one. Lucky guy. Um, even though I've been doing it for, you know, we've been touring until this year nonstop for 17 years. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And 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 yeah. just to go a little further, I know I talk a lot, but you know the the I love it. Keep talking. <laughs> That's what we're here but, for. But no, like you know when we started the band, and we had this song on the first album. I actually mentioned it already, but it's called "Bleeds No More," and it was the first song we wrote. That was a majority of the song was screaming, and the band didn't know if I could do it, and I didn't know if I could do it. And to be honest, we, we even had talk of maybe our guitar player doing that song or something, you know, to give me a break. And I sure. just, I manned up and did it. And uh, can you say manned up anymore? Is that sexist? I know. Uh, maybe. I, 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 I'll dress it. You, you upped. <laughs> you upped. I'd use different choice of words if I had it back. But no, I, I upped. And uh, no, I, I um, no, honestly, just, uh, um, you know, over time, it's like a muscle, you know, it gets stronger and for the most part holds up okay. It's just more my own head and my own anxiety about it. And well, if, if yeah, I could go back and do it again, I probably wouldn't ever have started screaming. <laughs> but uh, here we are. <laughs> well, to, to your credit, like I said, a lot of bands, they'll have like the guitar player doing the screamy part and then right. the singer will sing the thing. So so you're uh, you're wearing both hats and it's uh, it's tough, man. It's grueling. And, uh, and it's, like I said, it's, it's admirable. I uh, I'd have I'd have a real tough time doing that because I, I know that anxiety. No one will ever know what that's like getting on stage and not having your voice. It's yeah. the it's like your, your worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, chorus number two is the same uh, exact lyric, uh, same as, as chorus one, just goes yep. through once. Um, and then we get into the, the, to the bridge. And or what I'm calling the bridge, this is uh, because there's a part after this that I'm calling something else that we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the lyric is, I bet you laugh. And on laugh, there's that B chord that uh, mm-hmm. Cameron Webb mm-hmm. was having an issue with that I was like, Ooh, that's a breath of fresh air. It really sticks out. And I could see why that would be uh, be a little weird maybe to a producer. But man, I latched onto it, Shane. I really, I, yeah. I love that. No. I, I love that part. No, thanks. I mean, shit, Cameron went on to produce no effects albums. And he worked with all these like fat record style punk bands. Like you'd think he would have got it. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised. It was, I think the band, 
I don't know. I think the band was shit talking the song pretty heavily behind my back the whole time <laughs> to where I was still paranoid that this wasn't going to make the record, um, even in the mixing stage. So, yeah, the the bridge, I think I just, you know, I, I fought for it a little bit, but um, I don't know. I, I was I thought that that bridge might be the song's downfall in terms of it. Well, making I, the album. I, I, I want to get to the lyrics here. And I, I started to and I, I stopped. But before I forget, mm-hmm. I have to ask. Uh, and 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 you you don't have to throw your band under the bus if you don't have you can you can plead the fifth on this one. But is the song a point of contention and all with you guys because of how big it got and how everyone wasn't into it, or have they embraced the song? Oh no, we've we've embraced the song. I think there was definitely an "I told you so" moment there, but I needed There's nothing it. like that in the band. <laughs> I I needed it though for a little bit of trust, you know. Um, I think and. You know, a lot of the songs that I wrote, especially back in those days, I kind of wrote all the parts and showed everybody and it was my way or the highway. And, you know, that's not always a great recipe either for a band. But, it, you know, but, you know, the song, the, the album came out, uh, it was track seven on the on the record and uh, which, which is odd too that's not a hit single position on a record not typically although i'll tell you what i did i was a little sneaky so i believed in the song i thought everyone was going to freak out when the album came out um about it and they did but i put it at track number seven buried a little bit in the track listing so the band wouldn't get mad but i realized you know that it was going to be the first track on side b of the vinyl so, so I, you know, cause you know, this was like prime. Now everyone puts records on vinyl and everyone thinks about, okay, side A, side B, what's going to be the first track. But this was in that weird period of time when a lot of bands weren't even putting out vinyl, you know, labels weren't making it. Mm-hmm. And I knew we were going to make vinyl because we actually had it in our contract that we had to make vinyl, which is why those records came out of vinyl. A lot of other bands on our label didn't, but yeah, but I snuck it in there uh, yeah, so you, that it would be a, the first track on side B just in case. Yeah. <laughs> and you had a, you had a 50, 50 chance of people playing that side of the record first, you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Especially after a few drinks. Um, so in, in into the bridge here, uh, I bet you laugh uh, at the thought of me thinking for myself. And there's some cool backing harmonies here, which are great on, on myself. And yeah, then um, it gets into uh, the second line is I bet you believe that I'm better off with you than someone else. So kind of kind of set up that lyric if you can. Yeah, I think this is just sort of the realization now that the character is having that this is kind of a bad situation because I think, you know, when you are in that situation with, with a relationship that's so toxic, you kind of know, you know, even if you have thoughts in your head that, well, I love this person and whatever, you still kind of know it's maybe a little bit fucked up. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what is, is going on here, you know, with the character and, and just the control that, uh, you know, she has over him because of the, you know, saying you know she might actually believe that she's you know the only person that that he needs because you know that that can happen in a relationship sure yeah and i again i just think the bridge is great it's a it's a breath of fresh air it's cool it's very short it's only about uh 10 12 seconds and it's done and then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um we're gonna agree to disagree again here okay this is either shane's re-intro or my verse number two um mm-hmm. And <laughs> this uh, uh, guitar part, the intro comes back in, the band breaks down. And uh, I guess this is what you would you would call the reintro, right? After that's the bridge? What, that's what I, it's what I would call the reintro, yep. 
Okay. This, this to me is what I would call verse two, either, or it's, uh, we're still talking about the same part and it's really cool, uh, that this comes back in here and, you know, upon, upon, you know, diving in and listening to this, it's interesting. It's, uh, the lyric, the first two lyrics are your face arrives again, a hope I had become surreal, but under your covers, more torture than pleasure. And it's almost like right there, you're, you're thinking the band's going to kick back in, but this part goes on and it says, yeah. Yep. And just past your lips, there's more anger than laughter. Not now or forever will I ever change you. I know that to go on, I'll break you. My habit. Yep. I mean, that's just kind of ending the song lyrically with some maybe measure of hope. And I think uh, at the time writing it, you know, I've I've never been on heroin. I've never tried heroin for the record. I'm not a drug. I've never had any drug issues or anything. But, you know, I had a feeling that some drug addicts and people in recovery might take something from this song, you know, um, it might mean something to them. And I really thought it was important to end it, um, on a positive note, you know, with something hopeful, you know, um, you know, break you my habit, which, you know, of course it's a double meaning between the, the relationship side of the song and the drug addiction side of the, of the song. But I just wanted that to be really prevalent, I think, um, and powerful. I'm re- and it is, and I'm really glad you said that because I had written down in my notes, uh, have you had uh, people with, with uh, substance abuse issues or anybody reach out because of this yeah. song and say that it helped them? Oh, yeah, like uh, all the time. I mean, That's awesome. I mean, every week probably someone, you know, will, will send me a DM or something and say, you know, hey, that song really helped me through a hard time, you know, and, and some of the stories and some of the darkness that I've heard and it, it you know, some of our biggest fans actually, you know, um, I think that song was what drew them into us uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and helped them out. So, yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. It's a cool feeling. And I think there, in Silverstein's lyrics, there is a lot of dark imagery and there is a lot of pain. And um, that's a constant theme. But at the end of the day or the end of the album, you know, we want there to be a takeaway that it's there's something better out there and you know i'm a i'm a pretty positive hopeful guy in general yeah. uh, so so you know you know i'm not like this tortured artist personality kind of guy so i think that that's kind of important too you can't always just talk about you know ponies and rainbows and stickers and whatever else you know uh it, it's not going to work but you know you can give people inject some positivity and some hope into negative and dark lyrics and i think that, yeah, that can go a long I, I, way. I call I call it the light at the end of the tunnel. You yeah, know, exactly. It gives you something exactly. to, to hang on to. It's great. Um, so we get into, uh, and something else I want to say, that, you know, lyrics are so subjective. And getting back to the to the people uh, reaching out that have had issues with drugs, I mean, you didn't even write that specifically about this, but the fact that they can take that away because mm-hmm. that's yeah. what it means to them. That's why yeah. I love doing this podcast, man. That's why I love breaking this down and talking about this kind of stuff because, uh, you know, I've had it happen with my band. You'll, you'll write a set of lyrics and... 15 different people will take 15 different things away from that. They'll think it was written about them. Yeah. Well, have you ever done the thing where you'll write a song, it'll be about maybe something specific, maybe not that specific, you know, like maybe you're not really sure if you had to do a a track by track or whatever they liked you to do. Um, And then someone has told you what they think the song's about and you're like, 
I'm just going to go with that. I'm going to take that one because it's a better story than I got because I've definitely done that. That and I haven't wanted to burst people's bubbles. I've had people come up and say, you know, this song, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my, my father passed away or this or that. And you're just looking at the pain in their eyes and you're just like, yeah, man. And you give them a hug and you, and you go on, you know, that's sometimes, sometimes I think that's the best thing you can do. Uh, chorus three, again, uh, just happens once. Same lyrics. Yeah. Was there ever a discussion with, with Cameron of, of uh, repeating this chorus twice at the end, or was this always just uh, going to happen again for, for one more time? No. I mean, to quote our guitar player that joined the band in 2012 and you know learned the song, he's, he said, this chorus is long as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It and, is. It, it is, is a longer a long, chorus. Yeah, it is a long chorus. So I think repeating it, would be uh yeah it would be a lot but you know what we do actually live we started doing was at the end we you know we typically we play the song kind of near the end of the set um sometimes even dead last we actually stop um and we have the crowd sing the entire chorus a cappella um when it comes in the third time and then we do you know we do the build up into the third one like on the record so we actually do a double chorus uh, live, but we well, have the crowd cool. sing the crowd sing the the whole first first part. Well, then uh, after you hear the third chorus, it comes back one more time. You got to hear that riff, and we just get <laughs> one line of you, you know, screaming your heart out. It's just the line of "I will save myself," and it just ends right, on that big right. big E chord. Uh, you get that riff in D again, that little movement that's just da na na na. That part is so cool, uh, and the song just ends just boom. So powerful. Mm -hmm. Was there ever talk uh, of, of that part? Was it was that always that short? Uh, the I will save myself, or did you want to get any more lyrics in there? Or was that kind of how it was? I think that yeah. I think that we didn't want, or I didn't want to end the song just like a ring out chord on the chorus. I, I felt like there needed to be some something more kind of to, to cap it off and yeah and just that that made sense to go back to that um which i guess is a verse which is a bit of a strange uh yeah it is, <laughs> is, is a bit of a when you when you call that a verse it's a really weird um well and it's uh, almost you know, as weird uh ending on the pre-chorus of what i'm calling it so you know what i i, I don't know i think my i think my argument's been you know been been shot up there but who knows <laughs> maybe maybe no. <laughs> but i i love the way that ends man it's really cool um one one last thing i want to touch on when the fans heard this record okay yeah did this song was it like immediate with them or did it you know this was in 2005 did it kind of yep. build up over time and and do you remember the first time you played it and what the reaction was from the fans well yeah there so the yeah, record came out in 2005 and it was you know our second album our first album when our first album came out, nobody knew who we were, you know, we, really weak first week numbers. We didn't get in on any tours. We didn't really have any, a, a booking agent to book us anywhere. Like it was a real grind that first album cycle, but we built something and we knew that album number two, people were going to, were going to care about it and people were going to buy it. And, you know, I think it charted, at, you know, like number 30, 30 something on the billboard and did you know 25,000 copies of the first week or something you know a, a very big number bigger than we were ready for and I'll tell you man pretty much instantly everyone's talking about my heroine everyone's saying okay they're coming to the shows we don't know how to play it 
Right. I yeah, played yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played all the guitars and and everything on the record. Obviously Paul knows how to play the drums, but no one knows it. And that's an intricate guitar riff, you know. It is. Um Josh Josh plays it and and I put him, you know, I've gave I've given him the the torturous role over the years of having to play this intricate part, you know, every show, but he he knew that riff, but you know, having to put the song together and figuring it out, it took a little while before we started playing it and there was a lot of people leaving the show disappointed um because yeah we didn't we didn't know well the band didn't didn't think even the label didn't like the song or didn't care about the song you know we picked two singles uh to 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 be to be the singles and then it was pretty six months into the, the after the album came out it was getting pretty obvious that we needed to do a, a single and a video for for this song um, and uh, and, and what, we did. what yeah what what killer vindication after all you went through with the song it's it's great you know that you you know and it wasn't uh, from from an ego standpoint it was a uh, it had to feel good that the fans embraced something that you believed in for so long no it it did feel good and and to this day it's it's a great feeling that that song ha- has you know stood the test of time I guess and and meant so much to people and it, it's it's nice that it's something that I started out with a riff and I said this is something special. Like this is something good. This is something that I need to, to work on and care about and that it kind of, you know, came full circle. And here we are talking about it all these years later. Heck yeah. Well, Hey, speaking of special, you alluded to it a little bit ago, but, uh, Shane, uh, has been kind enough to offer to play my heroin live acoustic for us right now. So, uh, okay. Take it, take it away. Okay. Um, here's a guitar and all right. The drugs begin to peak A smile of joy arrives in me But sedation changes to panic and nausea And breath starts to shorten And heartbeats pounce after You won't try to save me just want to hurt me and leave me desperate you taught my heart a sense I never knew I had I can't forget the times that I was lost and depressed from the awful truth how do you do it you're my hero I never knew I had I can't forget The times that I was lost and depressed From the awful truth How do you do it? You're my heroine I bet you laugh At the thought of me Thinking for myself 
that you believe that I'm better off with you than someone else. Your face arrives again. A hope that had become surreal, but under your covers, more torture than pleasure. And just past your lips, there's more anger than laughter. Not now or forever will I ever change you. I know that to go on, I'll break you, my habit. You taught my heart a sense I never knew I had. I can't forget. Man, that was really cool. Thank, thank you for uh, for sharing that with with me and the listeners, Shane. Yeah, Thanks. no, no, Chris. Thank you for having me and letting me uh, talk about that. A lot of stuff I haven't talked about, you know, despite all the interviews and everything. It's nice to to you know zero in on one track. And uh, uh, I love what you're doing on the show. I love this long form, you know, specific long forms. That's why I love podcasts. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'd like you to leave the listeners now. Uh, I'll, I'll set up one thing. I, I always let, uh, let my guests plug what they have going on. But uh, Shane, of course, has a, a podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome that uh, I was recently on. And, uh, I, man, this thing, you started it in 2015. You've yeah. had the, the who's who in the business on the show. The podcast is killer. Congratulations with, with all your success with that. Thank you. No, it was kind of started just as a bit of a joke. <laughs> I had this funny name and I was going to do it as maybe a YouTube channel. And then it just ended up working better at, as a, a podcast. You don't have to be in the same place as the person. And here we are almost five years. I'm coming up on five years. Actually, it will be five years when this comes out. And uh, yeah, I've had I've met so many friends. And I've spoken to so many musicians that I deeply, deeply respect. And it's pretty, it's been really, really, really great and really positive for me. That's awesome. Well, again, congrats with that. And uh, anything else you'd like the listeners to know? Anything uh, going on in your world solo with Silverstein? Any any projects you got going on? Uh, please share it with us. Well, yeah, Silverstein, we have a Redux album coming out, which is basically uh, re-recordings and reimaginings of some of our uh, uh Actually, this one's kind of our deep cuts. We did one with with that was the hits, and now we're doing one with the deep cuts. So that's coming out. Uh, that'll probably be out actually when you're hearing this. So check it out. Um, and yeah, the podcast leadsingersyndrome.com you can check out. And also, I just got on Twitch, so I'm doing a bunch of Twitch uh, live streams. It's a really cool platform now for musicians, and you can follow me there. It's Twitch.tv/slash Shane Told. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you again for uh, having me on your show recently and, yeah, and for being a part of uh, my podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. 
So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They're called Rocket Loves Blue. On guitar, we have Josh Shapiro, and on vocals, Nikki Mulios. Uh, love, love this band's sound. Uh, uh, Nikki's vocals remind me a, a lot of Stevie Nicks. I think it's killer. Here's a snippet of their track. Marigold. Chris and Chris. So once again, that was another great episode. That was the first episode, I believe, featuring a song that includes screaming. So I thought it was interesting to hear someone who has to scream in a song talk about how they handle that on tour, <laughs> which is always a question in my mind. How do you do that night after night after night? And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, it's just, it always amazes me. I, mean, I referenced, uh, you know, Ch Chester from Lincoln Park, and I've been on tour with a number of guys, and the ones that really amaze me are the ones that can scream, but then go back to singing. I'm like, how the heck do they do that? Uh, my, my throat would be like raw meat. <laughs> I'm a fan of the aggression of screaming, and I like when it's used tastefully in a song. I don't really get the bands that do it all the time throughout the entire song. <laughs> it seems like at that point, it just... It becomes just monotone, no matter how intense you're being. But that's just my opinion. But when it's used in the way that Silverstein uses it or The Used or Glassjaw, these bands that use it at intense moments and it has that effect and brings the song to that place, I think that's really cool and interesting. And I'm also interested, maybe next time we have someone who includes screaming in a song. I would be interested to know that when you're writing it from a melodic standpoint, are you writing that as a melody that later becomes screaming? Like, are you just writing it really high in your range? Or are you more or less just saying like, this is going to be screamed? <laughs> uh, and I'm sure that it depends artist to artist, but uh, that would be something that I'd be interested in knowing about. Yeah, you know, and I kind of touched on that in the episode. I had I had asked him about that part, and specifically was you know, was that Cameron Webb, the producer, or was that you thought that it should be screamy? Uh, that's a that's a good point you made. Yeah, sometimes you're you, you're wondering like, wait, was that supposed to be melodic and it turned into this, or or vice versa? Yeah, I know. Anytime that I have screamed in a song, it's just been that it was so high in my range that 
I had no choice but to get to that screaming point, you know? And it's also hard to scream something that isn't at that point in your range. Maybe it's not at that point where you can't sing it, but to scream something that is just like at a normal part of your range is sort of a skill in itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. And I, and you know, one less than Jake's song one comes to mind. It's a song motto uh, on our hello rock view record. Uh, Roger sings the verses and then I come in for the, for the pre-chorus. You know, that's something that keeps me safe. Yeah, no. I'm wondering like why I ever, you know, why, why didn't Roger just sing that? Cause it's way out of my range, but the only way to hit it is to scream. And when we do that song live today, uh, 20 some years <laughs> removed, I always say, why did I sing that part? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always that buyer's remorse with putting screaming in your music, I think. And, and, uh, Shane talked about that for a second there. Um, although you don't really scream in less than Jake songs, you definitely sing really forcefully, sometimes pretty high in your range. So I ask you the same question you asked Shane, how do you deal with that on tour? Do you have routines? Do you drink tea? Do you not talk to anyone before you play? Or do you just basically <laughs> say, screw it and just, and just go for it? You know, I read something many, many moons ago and I have to agree with this. You know, you could, you could limit uh, alcohol intake, you know, don't smoke, drink lots of water, drink tea and honey and all these other little tricks. But the bottom line and, and Rob Halford from Judas Priest said, you have to get sleep. And sleep is tough on tour. Uh, when I'm when I'm off the road, uh, I rarely, if ever, will take a nap during the day. I just, you know, just don't do it. It's not part of my regimen. But when I'm on the road, uh, you know, after we get done with sound check, I'll come back to to the bus or backstage somewhere, and I'll get an hour or two of sleep. Uh, and if I don't sleep, I'll I'll just lay there with my eyes closed because that's two hours that I'm not talking. I'm not right. using I'm not using my voice uh, because, you know, as singers, a lot of times you're, you're the front person of the band. Uh, people want to interview you. They want to talk to you. And Shane even talked about it uh, in the episode where you got afterwards, you got friends in town, you're, you know, you're out having a drink or whatever, and, and you're talking more when you as a singer shouldn't be talking. <laughs> right, exactly. And Shane brought up the smoking at the clubs, which dude, oh. I, you know, I don't necessarily have it. If, if you want to smoke, that's your deal. But do it outside, <laughs> you know, like even if they allow smoking inside, I know some local bars like from the town I grew up in that I can't even go in them. And I'm not like a super sensitive person about it. Maybe some people would say I am, but in general, I don't care if I'm sitting next to somebody and they're smoking outside, but there are these bars you go into and oh my God, I wear contacts. My eyes are watering in red. Uh, I can't breathe. I had to leave this place. <laughs> I remember the last time I went to this bar called Just a Tavern in the town I grew up in. I, I had to leave. I couldn't handle it. And even more so when you're playing a show and you're trying to sing. Do you, I think that most clubs don't have smoking now, but do you still experience clubs um, where they do allow it? Not much. Maybe in the middle of Italy or something, but it's it's rare. Japan's done away with it. Uh, but when we first started touring everywhere in the 90s in, in, in the States, uh, certainly when we started touring the UK in the late 90s, it was every night. It was insane. You know, we used to do these, and I'm sure Punchline's done your fair share of basement shows back in the day yeah. where people would just be smoking away. And it was probably maybe four or five years ago, 
I don't know if we were in France or somewhere, but it was one of those nights where there wasn't a barricade where literally like the fan is right there. Like if I, you know, rang out a cord and, and put my right hand out, I would touch their head. They're that close to me. And this guy is one after the other. And it got to the, <laughs> it just got to the point where he'd light up another cigarette and I would just slap it out of his hand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and finally he just finally he just stopped lighting up cigarettes. He realized because it was just coming up into my nose, you know, and I don't want to think yeah. I, I'm like you. I'm not like a you know cigarette or uh you know, I don't be a party party uh pooper and and uh but I you just have enough's enough after a while. Right. I was about to say, people are going to think we're not very punk for complaining about smoking. <laughs> but the fact that you're slapping out of his hand, I'd say that's pretty punk, man. Because <laughs> uh, it is, I mean, it's kind of a dick move to be <laughs> to be smoking, especially in a crowd of people at a show. That's, oh, well, that's man. Dick. And back uh, in the day, back in the 90s, you know, when we started the bus, everybody in the band, except I think Roger, me and Buddy smoked. Everybody oh, God. in the bus in in the bus. Oh Jesus! I remember man. <laughs> I'd be laying there at night in 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 my bunk, and there'd be like the hall light on, and you'd just see a plume of bluish gray smoke coming down uh, the hallway. It was a yeah, it was a rolling germ tank. You know, the bus driver smoked. Everybody did. Jeez, man, that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, well, anyway, switching gears here for a second. Um, another thing that I thought was cool in that episode was Shane talked about how it sounded like everybody from the producer, uh, Cameron Webb, to his bandmates, no one really believed in the song. And Shane was like, you're going to see. And it ended up becoming their most popular songs, uh, their most popular song, My Heroine. And I guess what I was going to ask to you is, are there any Less Than Jake songs that either not that you didn't think were good, but you didn't you didn't think were anything that special, or maybe some of the guys in the band liked and others didn't so much like that became popular fan favorites among Less Than Jake fans. Uh, absolutely, and you know that's such a interesting point. And how many times, and I mentioned it in talking to Shane, how many times on this episode, or excuse me, on this uh, podcast, have we seen where the the biggest hit of these bands is one that almost got left off the record? It's 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 crazy. It's right. absolutely crazy. But the less than Jake song that comes to mind, uh, one of them would be would be Rest of My Life that uh, Mark Hoppus co-wrote with us. Uh, that was a song that uh, we had the chorus, you know, it's going to kill me uh, you know, the rest of my life. And and I thought there was something there, but the rest of it, I just I just wasn't hearing. And it wasn't until uh, the, the, we were in the studio and I finished the vocal and I heard it and I was like, Okay, now now I get it, but uh, it was just another track, and even then, uh, I liked the song, but I didn't know uh, what what it was going to do and how it would react with the fans the way it did. Right? Yeah, that's very cool. Another one last thing that I want to talk about this episode is that Shane talked about how he wanted to end the song with something hopeful. He was thinking ahead, uh, just knowing, which in, in fact ended up being true, that people were going to be paying attention to the lyrics of this song and it was, they were going to relate to it. So he wanted to end it with something hopeful and not something the opposite of that. Uh, personally, I remember this. I, it's funny while you're uh, recording the episode, I was Googling like crazy to try to find the exact quote. I can't find it. I'll find it eventually, but there's something uh, Bjork is my all time favorite artist. And she said something in an interview about how she never once her songs to not in one way or another have a message of hope behind them. Even if it's a sad song, even if it's a song that you're going to wallow in, there has to be something about that song that leaves the person feeling hopeful. So it's not just wallowing the entire time. And I, I've always 
thought of that. And I think that's a really cool way to approach lyrics and themes in songs. And speaking of hopeful messages, Chris, I'd like to talk about this month's fundraiser, the Jason R. Flood Memorial. It's a newly established nonprofit founded after the suicide death of Jason Flood. Their goal is to raise awareness of suicide prevention and to feel comfortable to speak up and reach out when warning signs are recognized. They are constructing education and peer support groups to offer guidance for a variety of mental health issues, particularly with the tween and teenage groups. So if you could hop over to ChrisToMakesADifference.com uh, and give whatever you can, a dollar, two, five, ten, it would really ha- help out a great organization and we appreciate all of your support. Uh, I think you have something you'd like to tell the listeners, Chris. Uh, yeah, Chris, do you think I do a good job of producing your podcast? Well, you didn't pay me to say this, so to be <laughs> honest, yes, you do. You 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 make me sound way better than I do. You do a fantastic job, Chris. Well, thanks, man, and I know I, I dug for that compliment, but that relates to what I want to tell people about is myself and my very good friend, Matt Kelly, have started a company called We Know Podcasting, and what we want to do is help anyone out there who has been interested in starting a podcast of their own. We can help you along the way with everything from consultations about the concept of the podcast uh, to technical things like what mic should you use and what program should you use to record and getting you a logo for your podcast, a name for your podcast, a theme song for your podcast, and of course, the actual editing of the podcast because people might not know exactly what goes into editing a podcast and I I think the bad podcasts out there are the ones where people just hit record on a microphone and do no editing and you just listen to people ramble on and on but keeping it concise and making it interesting to the listener the whole time helps you build an audience I like to think that's what we've done with Chris to make a podcast, but that's what Matt and I are here for. And if anyone is interested in that, you can hit us up at info at we know podcasting.com. That's info at we know podcasting.com. If you've ever been interested in having your own podcast. Well, I got to tell the listeners right now that you'll be in good hands with Chris. Uh, him and Matt will definitely take care of you with this. I didn't know one thing about podcasts when <laughs> Chris had initially told me that uh, you should do a podcast, Chris. And uh, he has taught me everything I know. Uh, he has a wealth of knowledge. So uh, please hit him and Matt up. That would be great. And if you'd like a custom Valentine's Day song video greeting from me, hit me up at ChrisToMakes at gmail.com. I'll give you or that special someone a uh, nice little warm message for Valentine's Day accompanied with a short little acoustic song uh, mentioning uh, you or that special person in your life. It's a great last minute gift. If you haven't already, please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you in our group. It's a lot of fun. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. 
Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.